welcome to Decoder Podcast, where we step inside the world of a software development agency and learn how bits and bytes become useful technology. Each episode features conversations with creators and users about the process, challenges, and fun of building software. Intended for a non-technical audience, this podcast will help you understand how software is built so you can more effectively engage with software developers for more successful projects. Hi, welcome to Decoder Podcast. I'm Sarah Altenhoff, and I'm here today with Greg Ross Monroe, CEO of Source Toad, and Greg 3G Hilferding, VP of Delivery at Source Toad. Hi, Gregs. Hi, Hi Sarah. Sarah. How are you today? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. This is the last thing we have to do at the end of the day, and I'm going uh, out with my wife. It's birthday after this, so it should be good. Should be good. Good end of the week. Well, we can all kick off our weekend after this. So, on today's episode, we're going to talk about software development methodologies. So, there are a few main schools of thought about the best way to approach development. So, three G, can you start us off by walking us through the different software development methodologies and explain their pros and cons? This is my favorite topic. I'm glad. I hope we have oh, like yes, three yeah. or four hours for this episode <laughs> so that I can like really dig into it. Um, just kidding. I can give a high level. Um, <laughs> there are really two major schools of thought in how you build software. Um, the old school way is commonly referred to as waterfall. And if you think about any kind of like very large project, like a large construction project, um, there's a lot of planning that goes into uh, that goes into that before ground is ever broken. You want to have like drawings and plans and schedules and everything all figured out before you spend the first penny actually building something. And that's how software uh, used to be built exclusively. And it's how some software is still built today. Now, somewhere around the 70s, a group of software engineers got together and they said, this is not working. Software is different than construction. And we can build stuff faster and learn what is the right thing to build sooner and just change the software as we learn. And what they came up with, and it's this is very like revolutionary, so they even called it the manifesto. It was the Agile Manifesto. And oh, they, cringe. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> but they basically said like this big design up front is crazy because it's not the same as a building. You don't like necessarily have to put down the, the, the first floor before you put on the second floor. Um, in software, sometimes you can build in totally different orders. And as you learn things, you can just roll out new versions. And so they built this entirely different approach that basically was about like building stuff faster, um, building things in small pieces and getting things in the hands of users to get feedback and then just changing the plan as you learned. And this method, like I said, it was like in the seventies that a group came together for this. It took a long time to uh, to be adopted, but it is pretty much the standard these days, right? If you go into most shops um, that are building software, they're going to say that they are agile. 
and they might be using one of the many like sub branches of agile like scrum or kanban um, or their own flavor but it is the standard these days there's still a lot of people out there especially like big projects using waterfall methodologies though i mean yeah. right don't you think there's yeah there's a... like gov government work big like corporate projects sometimes especially in the beginning the projects can be more waterfall you know what i mean like then mm -hmm. like the later phases am i am i wrong oh yeah no i think that there's definitely a lot of projects out there still built that way some of those projects are being built that way because they're still going on like they've been, <laughs> they've been in progress so long that they started before agile was even existed right um, banking software we're looking at you <laughs> looking at you banks yeah yeah the thing you know there's a um the whole idea of designing all that stuff up front is always about reducing risk right like if you people have this idea that like if we just have the perfect plan if we just like think about everything that could possibly happen and plan for it then we cannot fail and a lot of people still believe that but that is um that isn't true if shipping the software is required to be successful. Um, and most of the time it is, right? Like just having a perfect plan is not considered success. Uh, most of the time having actual software people are using is what you consider success. Um, and so that is kind of where there's that breakdown where like it's supposed to, Waterfall is supposed to eliminate risk by making sure you have a perfect plan. But the amount of time it takes to do that is just so long that by the time you finally have what you think is a perfect plan, there's already like 10 competitors who have been operating in the market and your idea doesn't even make any sense anymore because the like whole world has changed around you. Yeah, you should, well, um, Sarah, sometimes you should look up the, the, the brain crack video, just, uh, just you type into Google or like YouTube brain crack. It is not safe for work, but some, some <laughs> of what Greg's talking about is that. But um, there's a, uh, before, there, before, Greg, there is actually a safe for work version of it. It is, oh, there's like, a safe for work. It is significantly shorter than the, <laughs> uh, than the actual video. <laughs> I think we, we, we haven't probably just, I assume that this podcast is going to be like safe for work considering it's a work thing, but, um, yeah. so we weren't, weren't gonna, but, uh, yeah, before we like dive into like what agile is and everything, just, um, I've been developing software for a long time. I've been on like traditional waterfall projects. I'm sure Greg has as well. And just so you know, like to just have something to kind of compare and contrast with, um, when you start with a waterfall project, uh, you kind of do requirements gathering, you go and like, you find out, you go and speak to all the stakeholders, you find out what exactly that you think you want to build. Then you go and you do this like big design phase. So you spend like, you do re user research and you ask all these questions and then you do like you design everything on paper first or in some sort of software system then you go and you validate it by showing people um in the in the organization what what you've built and on paper then you're you send it over to the dev team and they go into like a black box and they don't talk to anybody basically and they build this build it out according to the spec and then they give it they come and they deliver it to you and then the QA people go through and look at the spec and they say, yes, okay, that, that is exactly where it's supposed to be. And then they like launch it and then finally users get it. And they're like, what the, what on earth is this thing? <laughs> like, did you, 
like, yeah, I remember you guys asked me like three years ago what my opinion was, but that changed. Um, so that's, uh, and I think one of the, like the horrible, dirty secrets of the software development world is that it depends on what you read, but like from 50 to 80% of all software projects fail 50 to 80%. Can you imagine like a, we have an entire industry built around this stuff right. and that is not a good track record. If you, if yeah, you were like, can... Hey, would you like to invest in this thing? And like, it's got a 75% failure rate. You would be like, no, thanks. <laughs> so. I think that some of the agile methodologies were designed, they kind of came out of this idea of like, we need to do better. Yeah, can you imagine driving through a subdivision where the contractor, 75% uh, of the houses uh, aren't finished, right? Like that- will, <laughs> And never will be. <laughs> and never will be, right? Because like one of the houses is like, it's just a garage. It's It's just one large garage and it's like, Wait, why did anyone think that building just a giant garage would make sense for a house, right? But like, well, you know, they did the research and they asked people. It just turns out that they only asked, uh, you know, car enthusiasts what they want from a house, and they never. <laughs> they only like once they heard that they wanted a cool garage, they stopped asking other questions, right? Because they thought they found it. And if you look at the if the software industry could be uh, visualized in that way, it would be pretty shocking like the, some of those failed projects, like the, the weird directions that they ended up going. So you, you mentioned earlier that there are, so underneath the agile umbrella, there mm -hmm. are different methodologies. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about those and tell us what source toad, uh, what methodology source toad uses? There are a ton. So I think the, uh, the largest, most popular one that you're going to run into is the Scrum methodology. And Scrum is really interesting because it takes, you have this idea called sprints and sprints are typically like one to four weeks in length. Uh, for us, we happen to pick two weeks uh, in length. And what happens during those sprints is all those same exact steps that Greg just described in a waterfall project, they all happen in those two weeks. You do requirements gathering, you talk to users, you make plans, you build software, it gets QA'd. You do all of that in two weeks, but you do it for like a very narrow slice of the product. And you get that slice of the product out there for users to use. And then you start another two week cycle and you work on another feature. And you do those in order of importance and that order of importance, that prioritization uh, changes based on what you're hearing from your customers, from what you're hearing from your users. Um, but it's actually interesting because, you know, some people say that Scrum, like there's no planning in Scrum, but there's actually the exact same planning steps. The idea isn't to like not plan. The idea is to spend less time planning the whole thing and only plan out small pieces at a time. Well, why do now, you think, what do you think? I mean, I've heard that about, about Scrum and Agile before a lot, which is like, well, there's no, like, there's no design process up front. And as a result of this, like, I mean, we're never going to really know what we're going to do. It's like, we're, we're building the plane while we're, we're like working on the plane while it's flying. Why do you think that there's that perception? Like, well, what are people getting wrong? Cause I run into that fairly often. I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. I think the, th the thing about it is that 
in those two weeks, you're not going to make a perfect product. Like you're not going to add a feature that's perfect for every type of user, for every possible scenario. And so what you see in those, like in a, in a scrum process is, you know, it's kind of like uh, uh, carving a sculpture out of a block of wood. You start with this like, just like block of wood. And every time you check in, like it is getting closer and closer to what its final form is. And if you check in after the first two weeks of that sculpture, it might look like there's no plan. <laughs> uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right? It might look like just this amorphous blob. And yeah. you're like, what is this? This seems very poorly thought out. Like, this doesn't look like much. The, but what happens is that that blob, um, the thing about that blob is that, like, it might turn into something different than what the original plan was. Because every two weeks when you chip away at more pieces of it, like, you might have thought you were uh, sculpting um, a person but maybe you're actually sculpting an animal or maybe you're sculpting a building. And if you don't make, if you don't like get stuck in your head about what you're building and you let the experience of building it teach you what you should build, then you can kind of change direction. And that's the other way that I people- I love this analogy. Yeah, yeah, that's the other way people get, like think that there's no planning because like what you said you were gonna do three months ago isn't what you're doing today. So clearly you didn't do any planning. It's like, well, we, what we did was we adjusted our plan. And that is the part that can be really scary for people is the idea that like, we're going to tell stakeholders that we're building, uh, that we're building X, but then a few months later, we're actually going to build Y because turns out people don't need X. Like turns out nobody, so nobody you, wanted it. Do you think there's any reason like in this day and age for waterfall to be used in any like i know you and i are big we drink at the the fountain or the, like worship at the altar of agile and uh, scrum especially right like we um uh but uh and and some people say like scrum people like agile people like say like it's they're religious mm. like about yeah. it right like we're not like religious about scrum but it's like it's there's like the the steps in scrum are literally called ceremonies which i guess we can talk about in a minute but <laughs> like, is there is there um is there a, is there a, a is there something you can imagine a process or a project that you can imagine where waterfall would be useful as opposed like where we would choose it over like a scrum methodology okay so first of all i have to respond to some of some of the other things you said there <laughs> uh i'm okay. i am very proud to call myself a scrum bag um <laughs> Uh, I, I definitely have drank the Kool-Aid. Um, you know, my, uh, my wife and I, when we planned our wedding, we used scrum oh, to this, we this used scrum insane. to do it. Oh, so that is great. so nerdy. Oh my gosh. Love so it. So nerdy. So nerdy. <laughs> and so listen, I can tell you right off the bat, there are some type like, yeah, like, did you have like Jira boards, like your Kanban boards or something? What did yeah. you well, the great thing about that experience is that I can tell you one of the projects you should not use Scrum for is planning a wedding. Are <laughs> <laughs> you still married? I, That's worked out okay. The marriage worked out fine, and the wedding was fantastic. Um, Good. But the Good. thing about like, uh, and I'm not going to stay on the wedding thing this whole time. 
But the thing about the, a wedding is that it only happens once. You don't really actually get to iterate on the wedding itself because it only happens one time. You don't get to like, like, okay, guys, we're having our first wedding this Saturday. I want everyone to it show n- up. It normally happens. <laughs> mostly happens one time. Yeah, normally happens one time per, per couple, at least. Um, but there's other projects like that, right? Anything that's only going to happen one time, you can't really use, uh, you can use, you can borrow things from, from Scrum or borrow things from Agile, but you can't do it exactly that way. And I think one of the best examples is uh, space missions, right? Like you cannot deploy and update the software on the rover that we are firing into an asteroid to see what data it collects when it explodes, right? Like you're not going to get to run that experiment every two weeks and tweak and tune the, the software and the hardware. And so those things have to be uh, big design up front because they only happen one time. You can't deploy software to a rover about to crash into an asteroid yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, just... the interesting thing is that like some space missions, we are now able to actually deploy software fixes like as needed, um, which is great because you know, a waterfall process will still have errors in it. Like the software will still have errors that like will need to be fixed anyway. So that's, I think the other part of waterfall that, you know, even if you think it's going to be perfect, it won't be. So you're going to end up, end up updating it anyway. And so why not just get in the habit of like updating frequently? Yeah. Sarah, do you, um, like when we were talking about the ceremonies, do you, do you know what we're, what we're talking about there? I do. I am a certified scrum master. Oh, you are? I oh. am. Damn. Okay. I'm sorry. Wow. Okay. Now I'm embarrassed. No, no, it's okay. I did the training when I started. Um, oh, okay. I could know what you guys are talking about. Do you remember? Do you, can I, can I test you? Can you, do you remember what the steps of, of the scrum cycle are? Um, Ooh. maybe I could study a little bit first and then you can ask <laughs> Sorry, I'm not just going to like call you out in front of a microphone. This is this is when there's a sudden jump cut, and yes. then, then you can tell that Sarah's like reading straight off of the website. <laughs> if this makes it into the final cut, you, dear listener, are like listening to something that's not supposed to be. Here. Yeah. Um, all right, well, Greg, do you can you can you list them out? Do you? I assume you remember them being a scrum bag. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the basic idea is that the team gets together at the very beginning of the sprint, and they have a meeting called sprint planning, and you know, which goes back to our earlier conversation, like, of course there's planning in Scrum. We have a whole meeting called Sprint Planning. So what else are we doing? <laughs> um, and that meeting is normally like about a couple hours for a two-week sprint. And during that, the team uh, agrees on what work they're going to be completing. They uh, figure out, like, how much they can get done in the two weeks. Um, they talk about that work and they make some trade-offs about that work to get something out there faster. Um, they might uh, set some things aside because they need like a little more information before they could start them. Um, and at the end of that meeting, the team gets to work. They start building, they start building software. Um, they split up either solo for some like that stuff, day, like that day, literally that day. Yeah. Um, 
they start building software. And then every single day of the sprint, there's a daily standup where they coordinate with each other on like what needs to happen to get the, the work done that they agreed to get done during the sprint. Now, there's also normally a, a meeting called backlog refinement uh, once a week. That's when the team is like talking about the work that might happen in the next sprint. And so teams are always thinking about what they're working on today and they're thinking about what they're going to work on next. What they're not doing is spending time thinking about what they might work on six months or a year from now. That's just not part of the process. They don't do that because the environment will change in six months or a year. So why spend that time? At the end of the two weeks, they get together and they have a meeting called Sprint Review, where all the work they did gets shown off. Everyone sees how it all came together and they give each other feedback on that work and talk about how that work could be made even better in a future sprint. Um, and then they ship the work, they get it out there. And then the very last thing, and this is actually my favorite part of Scrum. And I think that if you're going to steal anything from Scrum for your own uh, business or your own process, uh, you should steal this, which is the sprint retrospective. And so the whole team gets together for about an hour and they just talk about what went well during the last two weeks, what didn't go well during the last two weeks, and what small changes could they make to make the next two, week, the next two weeks even better. And that to me, that reflection, that debriefing, that um, intentional uh, discussion around performance and putting out quality work, is like, that's to me where all the magic happens. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for your wedding retrospectives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think uh, went badly about uh, the wedding this uh, planning this week, honey? <laughs> yes. Damn. I, uh, I admire your empathy, Greg, for being able to figure out uh, one of the ways that Scrum is terrible for wedding planning. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man so that you've given like that seems terrific actually now i'm thinking my wedding as well so. yeah. Um, yeah i mean I, I i think greg described the scrum process as, as best as like anybody could <laughs> i just the only thing that i would i would i'd want to add is um is that it just it works particularly well with software mm -hmm. right i mean the the whole thing about the fact that you can like in construction, you can't build a bathroom and be like, you know what? It'd be better if that bathroom is on the other side of the house. And I'm going to change my mind every like two weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's theoretically possible, but it would be unbelievably expensive. And the reason we have started to move to like a software-based economy and world is because of the fact that we can just pick the bathroom up and move it somewhere else because it makes sense to do that. But in order to do that, you need a, a project management methodology that is like flexible enough. Um, and then maybe the only other final thing I would like want to add is like, why do you need a project methodology to start with? Uh, I, I used to, I used to build when I was, when I, my first started out, we used to work in like a, a shed, like literally the server room was a garage. It was, mm -hmm. and then the old part of the house was where the dev sat, um, I don't know, mid nineties. And I don't, we didn't have, we didn't run agile process or anything. We would like 
come into work every day and we would like try and like solve a particular problem and everyone would work together and things got messy very quickly because like we were just like working it out all the time just like inventing ways of doing it but when you start to get to bigger scales or or process like where you need bigger teams and you need to like put stuff out that is going to work and is going to be stable you all need to be on the same page mm -hmm. and so you have to like pick something to align what you're working on you, you have to all agree about how to do the work how to chunk it up and to make sure that uh that it meets the requirements the the outcomes that you want to are correct like you might have a scrum team that part of the process is it has to pass a particular compliance check it has to pass a particular test everything needs to pass a test before it goes live if everyone is just like doing their own thing that does not work mm -hmm. yeah i think there's a there's another kind of extreme perspective on agile right and it's not like uppercase agile like the agile methodology or the agile manifesto it's lowercase agile it's like we should be fast. We should be able to like turn on a dime and we should be able to do like if something new, an opportunity comes up, we should be able to just grab it and do it. And that is the idea. But a big part of software development for the engineers themselves is that they have to kind of load into their brain a mental map of the software in order for them to know which things they're changing to add new functionality or like change how existing functionality works. And that process, um, if you come in every hour and you say, hey, it's changed, we're doing something new for the next hour, we're gonna build this feature. It will actually just grind everything to a halt because that process of like maintaining that mental map, yeah. maintaining that mental model is like there's a lot of cognitive overhead with that and you can blow that out of people's brains just by like asking a totally new question about how some like crazy thing might work a year from now and now you know the team has like shifted their like their mental focus and they have to like spend time getting ramped back up into the current sprint and so i think greg when you described like that process you were probably running like one hour long sprints, right? Like, yeah, probably technically <laughs> that's probably what that is. And Stuff was way that's why simpler it got, in those days anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it got messy. Right. Because it's like you pick up, you pick up way more than you can ever finish. And a big part of scrum is that like, when you say you're going to finish something during a sprint, you mean it, that will actually get done. But then, you know, there's, a little bit of discipline around the practice of letting that stuff get done while you're working on what's coming next. And speaking of ending things and getting them done in the right amount of time, <laughs> I think we're maybe done here, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. This is great. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, I hope the listener learned a lot and yeah, thank you to both of the Greg's. For your time today and yeah have a good weekend enjoy your day thank you sarah <laughs> thank you greg thanks sarah have a good weekend guys thanks greg all right bye bye